This is On Diversity, a podcast series by the Institute of Policy Studies, Singapore. I'm your host, Ong So Chin. Today's episode is called, What is Multiculturalism? It's a big word, a huge concept, and a massive challenge. It's also a crucial component of what makes Singapore great and admired around the world. But are fault lines starting to show? Last year, there was an uproar over an ad which portrayed actor Dennis Chu as multiple characters, including a Malay woman wearing a tudong and with his skin darkened, an Indian man. Outraged netizens called it brownface. Over the years, the Institute of Policy Studies has done several surveys on race, language and religion. Singaporeans in general take racial harmony very seriously. In a 2016 survey, only one quarter of the Singaporeans studied regarded themselves as mildly racist. However, nearly half of them saw Singaporeans of other ethnicities as racist. In other words, many of us see ourselves as not racist, but at the same time, we are inclined to see others as racist. How does one respond to frictions then? In a 2013 survey, around 65% of Singaporean respondents believed filing a police report was the right thing to do. Fast forward to 2019, however, and many more, especially the young, are calling for less government intervention on race. Every school kid has been taught to treasure and never take our multiculturalism for granted. That is encapsulated every year in that photo opportunity called Racial Harmony Day. But is that enough? What does multiculturalism mean today to the person on the street? Has it changed over the years? Does it need to change? And how do we talk about these changes? I have two special guests with me today to help me unpack all this. Lo Zui is the CEO of the Singapore Chinese Cultural Centre, which, as its name implies, promotes Singapore Chinese culture, but in the context of our multicultural society. And my other guest is Jamil Said, a singer, songwriter and performer. Welcome to the program, both of you. How are you feeling today? Great. Thanks, Ochin, yeah. for the invitation. Hi, Sui. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Yeah, How are you good. feeling, Jamil? Very good. Very good. <laughs> okay. Very good. Now, Jamil, I want to start with you because the mm-hmm. topic of today's program, multiculturalism, was actually inspired by a beautiful piece of music that you wrote. It's a love song called Kumahu with Malay as well as Mandarin lyrics. Can you tell us how you wrote that song? So the background story behind this is that I was invited to write a bilingual song for the uh, Singapore Chinese Cultural Centre's songwriting competition. And of course, as a songwriter, when someone asks you to join a competition, it's a bit pressurizing because you want to put the best work forward, right. not just any chapalang so I still got some Chinese lyrics and whatnot. So you want to represent mm. the work well, not right. for myself, you know, because that's not how I view my work. It's a representation of arts itself. And I got very lucky, to be honest. I think it was one of those days when my wife and my kid was not at home. <laughs> they were not at home. I had a whole house to myself. And I was listening to a reference and it was a Spanish song. Spanish song? It was a Spanish song. Oh, interesting. So I was inspired by a Spanish instrumental song. And then the song was born. So the melody was at the back of my head, including all the... The Malay lyrics came out first. Okay. So in 10 minutes, I had the whole skeleton of the song from melody to lyrics in, in 10, 10 minutes. In 10 minutes. Is that the shortest time ever? That is the. Song? Sh- yes. Oh my god. I goodness. think of a serious work, 
this is the shortest. Wow, so it's inspiration. So the Malay lyrics came first, right? You yes. Said. And you said you were inspired by P. Ramley and Teresa Tang. Tell okay. us about that. So that came naturally right after the knowing that, okay, I have something going on. I didn't realize that I had such a opportunity to have a classic feel to the melody, mm. right? So when I sing the song, uh, bukan kerana nama, bukan kerana deraja dunia. So when I hear myself sing that, I could hear P Ramli singing. Yeah, I just heard P Ramli you know, there. behind me and him singing the song. So it was such a moment. It's like goosebumps. This is monumental, man. <laughs> this is monumental, man. And then I knew that there will be a female singer in the song. Mm-hmm. And I said, what better way? Because the natural progression was the lady singer came into the second verse. And I was like, wow. So that was the Chinese element. It was a Teresa yes, Ting yes, element. Yes, yes, yes. So it's almost like P. Ramley singing a duet with Teresa Ting. Can you imagine can you, can, you, <laughs> can you imagine these two great icons <laughs> yeah. side by side if they are still alive now on stage? Stage, I tell you, it's, you know, yeah. this is what I, I really say, racial harmony. Gosh, you should do a hologram or something. Oh man, I tell you. <laughs> oh man, I tell you. So this contest was organized by the Singapore Chinese Cultural Center. How does a Malay song fit into a Chinese Cultural Center songwriting contest? Well, it actually arose because, as you said, you know, at the Singapore Chinese Cultural Center, we have always wanted to highlight what's so distinctive about the Chinese culture in Singapore, and one of the main characteristics that distinguishes us from other Chinese communities is the very fact that we live in a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multilingual society. So mm-hmm. that's very different from what you might find in China, Taiwan, mm. Hong Kong. So we have been running the songwriting competition for some time. It's been built as a Mandarin pop songwriting competition. Mm-hmm. But we felt that it was timely mm. since the competition had gained some traction over the years to establish a new award. And we called this the SCCC, Singapore Chinese Cultural Centre Exchange Award. And with this award, we wanted to give it to a song, a worthy song, that embodies or reflects the multiculturalism that we find Mm. in Singapore. Mm. So we were very lucky last year, out of the over 300 entries that we received, Jamil's song was eventually shortlisted as one of the final 12 to be presented for the finale. And uh, the judges were all in agreement that it was worthy to be our very first award-winning song for the Exchange Award. Yeah, so when we first heard that song again, I don't think Jamil was the only one having goosebumps. I think most of us in the audience uh, had a similar feeling. Right. So to me, this sounds like multiculturalism at work because Jamil, you said you, you wrote the lyrics but you also worked with a Chinese lyricist for the Chinese lyrics as yes, well, right? Yes, Tell us how yeah. that process went. So it was a very straightforward process. I finished up the song, I called up a friend of mine and, and I just said, hey man, get me the best Chinese lyricist in your head. And then she gave me the phone number. I I didn't hesitate. I think I just let nature take its own course. I didn't want to be picky. Right. So I was like, okay, let the cosmic take over and let's see where it mm-hmm. goes from here. I'm a big believer in that. Right. And then messaged the guy, I gave him the song, told him what I wanted, met him that night after my show, sat down over a cup of coffee, you know, told him the vibe because he had listened to the song. He's a professional. Mm, so what's his name? His name is uh Weibin, right? Weibin, Weibin, yeah. Weibin yes. Yeah. And then I told him about the mood. I said the most specific thing that I needed out of this whole thing is that this is Piramli X Teresa thing. It has to be this. It has to be a classical feel. So with the Malay lyrics on his half, I retranslated it back to English, right? So mm. he understands 
I mean, the whole thing I translate to English. I say, this is your part. Yeah. As long as you know the feel, I leave it up to you. Mm. And then I didn't change anything. Right. So within that day itself, we cleared everything else. Gosh, so, and it was so it was a very quick process as it well. It is, it is, it is. And I think the amazing thing was the Chinese lyrics were not a copy or a translation of the Malay lyrics. It literally was different lyrics. It was yes. a song, a love song, a dialogue yes. in Malay and in Mandarin, right? Which is the beauty of the song as yes, well, together yes. with the melody. I mean, it literally is P. Ramli and Teresa Ting <laughs> singing a love song together. So, Jamil, speaking of love songs, your wife is Chinese, I understand. Yes, yes. So, you're kind of living multiculturalism as well mm. in the home, right? Mm, mm. So, tell us about how you met your wife and what were the challenges? I mean, I guess... In, a marriage between mm, two different mm. cultures and two different races. We met over coffee, mm. and then that's it. I knew she's gonna be my wife. Wow! <laughs> oh, look, I'm I'm a night guy, right? So I I do shows, I perform in clubs and events and whatnot. And she's she's in the childcare industry, right? Mm. So she's 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 a day person, right? So and then the cosmic hands <laughs> intervene, and then we met over a cup of coffee, and then. I realized that, you know, this girl is cool, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> was race ever an issue? Uh, race. Yeah. Race wasn't an issue. I know we talk about the the religious aspect. She was already a convert by herself. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, moving forward, it was never an issue. I'm very fortunate. Right, right. right. And, then, and then we got married. And I love the... I have spoken before. I'm... She's more Malay than a little bit more Malay than me, and a little bit more Chinese than her. What do you mean? So during Chinese New Year, we I don't know why it's been a dream of my life. I want to hang this onglai outside the my pineapples. house. The pineapple. The yes. pineapple outside my house. I just wanted to. I for no reason. I just want to. Right. So now I have a reason to do so. Right. <laughs> so for a Malay boy growing up, like what the hell you want to put two onglai <laughs> when your parents are Malays, right? So now I have a reason, right? So I put this onglai outside my house, and then it will last there for the next two three months, and my wife will be like. Hey man, Chinese New Year is over. I say, I just love this thing here, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's more excited for Hari Raya. She wants to buy baju, mm. baju kurung, kebaya. See? Then she'll be like, Sayang, uh, I want to buy this. And like, maybe she'll go to like the bazaar. You know, how about this? And then let's buy kueta. They say, okay. <laughs> just do what you feel It makes you happy I'm, I'm with you I'm with you Cool, cool That's yeah. excellent yeah. So Sui, do you think this is multiculturalism? How would you define multiculturalism? I think Jamil's experience, I think, is one of the most ideal mm. kind of embodiments of multiculturalism at work. Mm. And I really envy his children because then his children would really understand what different cultures are like and what it's like to live two different cultures at yeah. the same time. So I think exactly. it's a wonderful gift that Jamil and his wife have given yeah, to yeah. their you child. You know, my wife, is, she's Chinese Eurasian. So, ah, so my so daughter has Malay mm. She has Chinese and of course the Eurasian right. side also. So, so she has her nana, akong, and the nene and ato. So <laughs> she's, she's everything. So how are you raising your daughter? How old is your daughter? How are you raising her? Leila Sophia, she's four years old. Mm-hmm. Well, you raise her as how any other parents will raise, moral values, mm. good characters. And that's the most important thing to instill this first, mm. regardless of mm. colour or religion mm-hmm. Whatever, you know. Right, right. So you talk about raising your child, right? And I'm just thinking back about my childhood. My feeling then was I remember being actually quite race blind. In schools, we would just play in a playground. We had no idea whether this person was Malay or Indian or Chinese. I mean, physically, it must have registered there, but there was never a barrier. I think kids just play. They just want to play with each other. That Well, that was my experience, right? I'm just wondering whether... 
the idea of multiculturalism or being race blind, has it changed over the years? Because recently, like I mentioned in my introduction, there's been all these little frictions that have been happening in society. What has caused that? Was your childhood different or do you feel there's been a change? Well, I think you're right to the extent of pointing out that I think for children, they probably don't notice differences like race mm. or religion. To them, just fellow playmates mm. or fellow classmates or schoolmates. Right. So it's only much later that I think you become much more aware mm-hmm. of differences. Mm. But if you compare, I guess, back then mm. and now, what's mm. the difference? Perhaps one difference that I can think of would be, say, in our grandparents' time, society was more or less they were all quite poor and all kind of fairly uneducated. Right. So there wasn't much differences in terms of education level or socioeconomic backgrounds. But now, I think after 200 years mm. of colonialism and of course another 50 years of independence, we are now a developed society, right. a much more affluent, mm-hmm. much more educated. But the differences between the educated and not so well educated mm. or the differences between the haves and the have-nots mm. have become much greater And that perhaps has accentuated the feeling of maybe unfairness or inequality, whether correctly or incorrectly, amongst the different races. Mm. So that has, I think, created a problem. That's a good point. I think globalisation has a lot to do with that as well, right? with the socioeconomic divides that have happened because of globalisation. So the haves and the have-nots, the income gap gets wider because Mm. of that. To add on to him, right? So... So growing up, I think you led the kampung life. and So we had this thing called the kampung spirit. Yes. I personally have not, not that place. I didn't grow up in a kampung, right? But I, I mean, I do have relatives. I've been to Malaysia, Indonesia. I have relatives there. So I can guess what this feeling is all about. So the fact that we have this term, the kampung spirit, and the, the old folks still holding on to this, it does mean that there's a certain level of the multiculturalism exists and the acceptance is there, you know, because I think the common denominator at that moment in time is just, I think, is poverty mm-hmm. or hardship is a common denominator. And we, we feel, all help each other. And we're right? all helping each yeah. other, right? Yeah. So I think for kids, mm. it's, they are race blind because no one puts it into their mind that there's something wrong with this particular person because of the colour of the race. I think parents are very crucial in the upbringing of children even now, mm-hmm. if that person or that parent put in, there's something wrong with this person because of his or her colour, mm. that's where right. the child becomes something else because now the child is becoming to be more aware. aware. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. So it is upbringing and it's the influences that you're exposed to as well, right? And I would say even differences have always existed across time. Right. So say during the colonial period in Singapore's history, mm. The Chinese didn't get along amongst themselves. The That's different right. dialect groups That's had right. riots That's right. because there was differences. So even though you might have common ancestry, all came from China, mm. but the Hokkien's didn't get along with the Teochews. <laughs> so I think we can't deny that whichever period we are in, yep. there will mm. always be mm. differences. That's true. That is a very valid point. I think human nature is such that we are fractious by nature. And, and that's probably why, like you said, in the colonial period, in the post-colonial period, when Singapore gained independence, one of our founding fathers, as Rajaratnam said, if you think of yourself as Chinese, Malays, Indians and Sri Lankans, then Singapore will collapse. You must think of Singapore. This is my country. I fight and die for Singapore if necessary. I mean, this quote has always resonated with me. And I think that was the ethos then. It's like basically forget your past, where you came from, China, India, whatever. Just come together and cast your lot with Singapore. And I guess you could call it a melting pot analogy, 
with the different immigrants coming to start afresh in a new nation. But has that narrative changed now, right? Because now we are talking about multiculturalism. And I know PM Lee, at the opening of the Cultural Centre, Zui, he said Singapore is not a melting pot, right? It's basically, I think, what we call a salad bowl, which is like basically different ethnic groups coming together one united people, but you don't give up your own heritage or beliefs. Right. Yeah. So I think it's always a constant tension or struggle between these two, right? Yeah. Do we want to be a melting pot or do we want to be a salad or roja? Yeah, roja. Uh, roja exactly. is uh, the other common <laughs> example. I personally, if you were to ask me, I personally hope that eventually one day we would be able to achieve the melting pot ideal mm-hmm. and live up to the ideals of our pledge, you know, right. regardless of race, language, religion. Yeah. But I can't see how in the short term, yeah. and we are still quite young as, yes. as a country, yeah. how we can ignore differences. It's part of us. Mm. And I think even for Jamil's daughter, I think she will grow up knowing that her father and mother are different. Mm. Right, yes, they yes. speak slightly different languages, yeah. you know, etc. Mm. But it's possible to live harmoniously yes. and appreciate each other's difference. So I think that's mm. the ideal that we want to head towards. <laughs> I, I'm thinking that right now it's roja, but over time, as actually our statistics are telling us, there are more and more inter-ethnic marriages happening mm. in Singapore. Mm. Uh, one in four yeah. are now between different races. Yeah. I'm hoping that over time, there'll be more and more right. Singaporeans who have the same experience as Jamil's daughter. Mm. Then I, I think we will naturally move towards the melting pot yeah. end of the right. spectrum. But it will take, I think, many generations. Yeah. 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 But you see, we are not a homogeneous society, right? Mm. We are not Thais, we are not Japan. Yeah. Because we, again, like you said, I agree, we are a young nation. So what makes us Singaporean then? Is there one thing that holds and binds us together as a unit? Food. Food. You say, some people say nasi lemak, some people say nasi lomak. <laughs> I say, I don't care what you call it, bro. I love you for who you are, man. You're hungry, man? Yeah, I want to eat nasi lomak. Go, man. Grab your nasi lomak. I don't feel offended at all. You're speaking my language, but because I know that this level of acceptance and love that should always be there. Sometimes people need to be more aware of how to be spoken properly, you yeah. know, especially when you're in the national service, when you give commands and whatnot. You know, it has to be spoken the right way because yes. we have to pay respect to, mm. to history. But at the end of the day, how do I see myself as a multiculturalism is so alive in Singapore? Is that Prata, you eat Prata, right? Yeah. Yep. You go yeah. to you are Chinese and you go to Mama yep. and say, Hey, I want to eat Prata. Yes. Two kosong, right? Mm. <laughs> right? I, okay, so I go to a hot pot or something, mm-hmm. like, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Indian person go and eat Hainanese chicken rice. If racism for some reason exists, mm. these things will not occur because uh, these things yeah, can never stand on its own. Right. Yeah. That's like food is always a unifier here in Singapore, mm. right? So you brought up an interesting point earlier about even within the Chinese community in the old days, there was like frictions and all that. And talking about multiculturalism and being aware of different cultures and races, I ask myself sometimes, I don't really even understand some of my own cultural customs. Like, we have this Chinese funeral rites, for example, can be really complex. Chinese wedding customs sometimes are also very complex. And I ask people sometimes and they go, we just do it. I have no idea why we do it, (laughs) but this is what we do. We don't really know, right? Sometimes even within our own race and within our own culture. And I guess the unifier thing is like you just basically try and understand as best you can person to person, regardless of the culture or the race, right? But having said that, I think that is an ideal bubble or utopia that we would like. 
in the real world, I think it's getting quite complex. And I think social media globalization has a lot to do with it. And people are just becoming more vocal these days about asserting their identities. And as a result, sometimes I think frictions can arise, right? So how do we manage these discussions? I mentioned earlier, a lot of people are calling the police. The first instinct is to call the police. Should we be doing that? Well, I fully agree with you. I think for many of these daily encounters, be with our neighbours, our colleagues, our friends, I think Singaporeans need to rely more on themselves and yeah. not keep looking at the authorities or the government to kind of resolve yeah. these kind of, especially interpersonal mm. kind of issues. Right. Because if we don't learn to deal with these conflicts ourselves and hope that others will deal it for us, yeah. then how will we ever grow as, as human beings? Mm. I think we all grow only because we deal with conflicts. Right. And then we learn how to either change our own behaviour or try to persuade others to change their, their behaviour. Right. Yeah, so actually I think probably parents have the best experience because they have to deal with their children all the time and uh, trying to even persuade a child mm. to, to listen to you or to kind of take your instructions mm. can be a challenge. So I think if, if parents or you're willing to spend some time to kind of work with your child, yeah. I think we must be willing to spend some time to work with our neighbour or to work mm. with our yeah. colleagues. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we always say, right, it's like race and religion are sensitive topics. But I think after the recent general election, it showed that people, especially young people, were more willing to talk about race and religion. In the past, I guess, previous generations would be like, let's not talk about it, let's sweep it under the carpet. But now, I think more people want to talk about it. And I guess we have to find a way to discuss this openly in a civil mm. manner. I mean, information is, is so accessible right now yes. as compared to what, you know, I think, during my time mm. or you know, even your time. You know, growing up, I think the secondary school is a very important years. And for primary school, it's more for the parents to inculcate these values first. Yeah. That everybody should be treated with respect. Mm. And then when you have, when you're going up to your secondary school, and that's where the things mm. start to change. You are already forming your own opinions. You are around people of different ethnicity. I think ultimately it's still parents or still to coexist is different from going and sit down with someone and talk about religion in a very open manner where I can disagree to mm -hmm. I can agree to disagree mm -hmm. or I just want to learn more. Just because I share something about Islam, that doesn't mean I want to convert you. That's that's not my mm. that's not my intention. Mm. My intention is or whatever when we have this dialogue is to share so yeah. that you know deeper that Islam is not just about not eating pork or for wives. That's on the ground. That's how I feel. I'm, you know. So people do come up to me and asking me that. They say, hey, you can marry three more wives. Say, dude, one mother-in-law is more than enough, okay? So, Your mother-in-law might be listening. I love you, mom. <laughs> so, so look, on a serious note, you can be in Thailand, right? But you don't assimilate yourself. So how are you going to know about the Thai culture? Yeah. I was on exchange for six months, right? I had to learn the language to survive there, to, to buy groceries, to take the cab, to take the bus, to get myself places to places. And I go, Saudi happy, Anita Raipi. And then, oh, hey, so where are you from? I say, Pompeng on Singapore. And in the space of six months, I pushed myself to learn the language, right? People get closer to you and they, you can sense that. They respond to you. They respond, right? yeah, yeah, they respond. And you learn more about the people, the yep. care. Right. Know, they will offer you stuff, offer you drinks. So these are the things where I feel. Mm. Education has to be really direct. Yeah. It cannot just be, how do I put this, on a superficial, superficial level. Yeah. Okay, Indians celebrate Deepavali. Okay, so the teachers go celebrate Deepavali. Okay, okay we go there. Yeah. What's next? Yeah. 
So a deeper engagement yes, beyond yes, just the yes, skin beyond surface, just, right? Beyond just textbooks. Right. Yeah. You talked, Jamil, about going to Thailand where you're the new person there. Yeah. But we have a lot of new citizens coming into Singapore as well. Mm. A lot of immigrants coming in and becoming part of the Singapore fabric, right? So how do we include them in the multiculturalism conversation? There are frictions there because we remember uh, in 2011 there was a curry episode mm. yeah. uh, where yes. there was new Chinese citizens were complaining about the smell of curry coming from their Indian neighbours and there was this whole hoo-ha that blew up. Yeah. Right? So there are things like that. How do we include new citizens in the multiculturalism conversation? Well, I think when you look at the whole issue of new citizens yeah. and how supposedly you know, there are all these problems of new citizens integrating right. into Singapore society. So who's... Whose responsibility is it? Well, first of all, I think we all need to take a step back right. and just look at the issue from the perspective of time. Yeah. Because if we look at it, when the new citizens have children in mm. Singapore, mm. the children will have no problems integrating mm. because they go to local schools, yeah. they go for CCA together, mm-hmm. eventually the boys will go to army. Mm. And there are so many common experiences in Singapore mm. that they will, are naturally Singaporeans. Mm-hmm. So it's only the adults who have just recently migrated to Singapore. Mm. They are the ones who might have some problems integrating. And as the kind of local-born Singaporeans, I think we just have to be understanding because these are fully formed adults. They were born in in another country, brought up with different traditions and culture. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it is difficult for them to adapt Mm. to local society immediately. So I think as the local-born Singaporeans, we just have to be a lot more open and welcoming Mm -hmm. to them. And of course, you know, we constantly have to remind ourselves that whatever we do right now has been the result of so many migrants coming together in Singapore. I mean, the fact that we we order kopi si siu tai is Malay plus Hainanese plus Cantonese. Yes. And eventually, who knows, with more migrants coming from the northern part of China, we could be ordering some other drinks mm. with a different combination in the future. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Again, we're back to food, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, food is the binding factor for all of us. You know? But it yeah. unifies, I think, food and music, right? Well, which is the song like Kumahu. And yeah, going back to that, Sui, so are you having that contest again this year? Yes, yes. We, this is an annual competition, the SJSW I Write the Songs Songwriting Festival. Again, we're very pleased. We've had a very healthy response, mm. uh, about 320 song mm. entries. So we are looking forward to the finale when we will be unveiling the 12 shortlisted finalists. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, well, I think that's a good note to end on. So thank you, Zui and Jamil, for coming on the show and for sharing your views. I think we can all agree it's been a very fruitful discussion. And thank you to our listeners as well. See you again in our next episode. Thanks, Ochi. Thank you. On Diversity is a podcast inspired by the Institute of Policy Studies Managing Diversity's research program. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Swipe on the cover art to see the show notes for more info on this episode or visit us on our website, ipscommons.sg. Do subscribe to be notified when we have a new episode. And if you like what you heard, tell a friend or give us a five-star review. It really helps other people find us. I'm your host, Ong So Chin, reminding you to always keep your body healthy and your mind open. Goodbye.